It was a true delight for me to be with you today, be here this morning. Uh, I received just a lot of encouragement from many of you. Thank you for your kind words and even just sharing with me ways that the Lord was at work in challenging you to respond to the word from this morning. That's always encouraging to hear. But I want you to know, and I shared this with your elders a few moments ago when we prayed together, that I get to the privilege to be in a lot of churches all around the world, and I just want you to hear from me as somebody who's in a lot of different churches in different countries and cultures, that this is a special place. Uh, And so many of you uh, are are a great encouragement to uh, each other, as well as to just myself as a visitor, being here for the first time. And so I want you to, to hear that, be encouraged by that, keep doing what so many of you are doing. God is at, at work here, and I experienced that firsthand this morning, and I'm delighted to be back with you uh, for us to continue to look at the book of Titus. So if you would reopen your Bibles to Titus chapter 1 that was read a few moments ago. <clears throat> Titus chapter 1. We already established a little bit of the background with this letter, and we are looking at what we're calling God's good design for the local church. And we started with Titus chapter 2 because that was the chapter that really pointed to the roles that every single one of you in this church are called to play. And so we naturally wanted to start there, but there's other parts to this good design that in Paul, in writing to his young pastoral protege, Titus, he's writing and he establishes by this this letter that he wrote to him. And one of those other things that has to be established as part of God's good design is who should lead in these local churches. And what we find is that it is elders who are ultimately to be the leaders of the church. There's other leaders in the church. There's, There's deacons and there's all kinds of other Roles such as committee leaders and ministry leaders and team leaders and all those kinds of things. And and that's certainly a wonderful thing and God uses all of them. But we find two main offices in the New Testament consistently. And those offices are elder and deacon. And so we want to be able to focus where Paul goes. First thing in regard to this letter to establish these churches. If you look back at chapter 1 verse 5, we find the main idea. Let's go back to that idea on why Paul is writing to Titus, and it says specifically why Paul left Titus in Crete. And it gives us kind of this main idea for chapter 1 in particular, and really the whole of this letter. Paul writes to Titus, verse 5, it says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he goes on from there to describe Who are those who should lead as elders? Now we should first make the the obvious observation in that not everyone should lead as an elder. That's why there's particular qualifications that are listed here, and that's important. But let's also remember the full idea of this letter as we consider the the whole of this chapter, and that is the main idea is that the gospel that we believe will affect our behavior. Remember that. The gospel we believe will affect our behavior because that will be important for us as we consider what are the roles of elders in local churches. I've been in several different countries the last couple years. I've been in Brazil and spoke and used a translator in Portuguese. I was in Puerto Rico a couple of times this year already where they speak Spanish. 
Uh, I've been in Canada where we were working with a group of French-speaking pastors, and what was interesting as I've worked with all these different pastors who speak different languages in different cultures and different cultures is that the call of an elder is the same in all of them because that's what the New Testament reveals. It's, it's for all churches of all time and all ages. And that's, I think, important for us to see as we open this chapter 1 to see the introduction. We notice in the first few verses, Paul in verse 1, Paul in verse 1 identifies himself as the one who's writing to Titus. And it says, For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in the hope of eternal life. Paul is writing for those who've been saved and redeemed and, was, and have been called to be a part of God's kingdom on this earth, which is what we also saw in chapter 2, that group of people that God is calling out who He's redeemed through the blood of Christ. Then Paul is writing for the sake of those people and these new churches that are being established in Crete in particular. And the very first thing, notice in verse 5, he says, to set in order what remains. In other words, finish establishing these new churches so that they're healthy and vibrant and faithful. So chapter 2 that we looked at this morning was a big piece to that. But another piece to this is that he says right after he says that in verse 5, look there, that you might put what remains in order and appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. Now there's a, there's a couple of main parts of Titus chapter 1 I'd like to draw your attention to, and then, then we're going to, to look at those two parts a little, in a little more detail. Part 1 we find in verses 5 through 9, so look there with me. Part 1 defines the work of an elder and what he is called to do. So who is an elder and what is he called to do? And then part 2 is verses 10 through 16, the rest of the chapter, and that defines those whom the the elders are to protect the church from. Did you know that you need protection from something? That's actually one of the main tasks of an elder. God calls every elder to do two main things, and we see that highlighted in, in in this middle verse in the middle of the chapter. But God calls every elder to two things, to proclaim and to protect. That's a good summary of what we're going to talk about tonight. What Titus chapter 1 is saying. What Paul is emphasizing to Titus. Elders are called to proclaim and to protect. So that's the two main things I'd like us to look at this evening. So number one, the call of a pastor is the call to proclaim God's word. An elder pastor proclaims God's word. And this main verse of verse 9 in the middle helps us understand. So if you would... Take your eyes to verse 9. This is the main idea that fits these two parts together. So part 1 at the beginning and then part 2 comes immediately after verse 9. But verse 9 really connects these two parts as you'll see. So verse 9, an elder he is to, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So elders give instruction, they even rebuke those who contradict it. They are to proclaim and to protect. An elder's call is to minister the Word of God. And what do they proclaim? What well, says here in verse 9, it says they, they proclaim the trustworthy Word 
and sound doctrine. They, in a sense, declare Christ and Him crucified. They declare what is true that we find in the Gospel and in the New Testament in particular. And elders proclaim God's Word in two main ways that Paul highlights here as he writes to Titus. The first way is they proclaim God's Word with their mouth. With their mouth. Look at verse 9 again with me. We are to hold firm the trustworthy word as taught. They give instruction. They exhort. They exhort in sound doctrine and they exhort when even they rebuke those who contradict it. So elders speak God's word. That's a good summarization of what pastors, elders do. They speak sound doctrine. They speak His word. They speak the gospel. And it is the proclamation of God's Word as the central force, I would say, that builds any local church. It's the idea that God's design, His good design, is that He breathes life into souls through His own Word. The image of this, if you want to go home and read it this evening, is Ezekiel 37. That valley of dry bones that maybe some of you are familiar with, some not. Ezekiel 37, go read it, and it's this vision that Ezekiel has. There's this valley of dry bones, and God breathes on those bones, and they come to life. And I believe that is actually a metaphor, to help, a helpful metaphor for us to understand how does God breathe life into a local church? Well, He does it through His Word. And that Word is spoken, taught, proclaimed, by these appointed men of a local church who are elders. And that's God's good design. Elders are called to lead by centering the church upon God's Word. So they proclaim God's Word with their mouth. The second thing that elders do is they proclaim God's Word with their ministry. With their ministry. Look down in verses 6 and 8. 6, 7, and 8. Notice this is where Paul writes to Titus and begins to list the qualifications of what an elder is. And they're very interesting. If you think about it, look at verse 6. The qualifications, did you notice the qualifications aren't just things like, he should be a good speaker. There's actually character things. There's actually things about his life that qualify him to play this particular role. Verse 6 involves him caring for his family in a certain way. Verse 7 talks about they are to be involved in a godly, godly living. They live a godly life. Verse 8, is their ability to be able to care for others and how they do that. This ministry of proclamation is not just with their mouth. It's also with their life. How they live their life in front of that flock that they are proclaiming God's word to. Remember what the main idea of the book of Titus is? The gospel we believe will affect the way we live our life. So naturally, wouldn't it be the leaders, the elders of the church, who would be the examples of that to a church? And that's the design here. Elders are to be defined and identified by this living word they preach being lived out in their own lives in front of each of you. And I would say one of the greatest hindrances to the work of Christ building His kingdom in this world is when there are pastors, elders 
who proclaim God's word and then live completely contradictory to what they preach. And that happens all over the world in all kinds of churches. And on the positive side of that, what I do see is a lot of times God being at work in a local church, not necessarily through the most gifted pastor, elder, but the one who seems to have a consistency in the way they proclaim God's word, in the way they live out their life, in what they proclaim. And I want to emphasize to each of you, your elders are not perfect men. Far from it. And you all know that they would be the first ones to acknowledge that. But nonetheless, they are to, to live out their lives in front of you as an example. And you can hold them to that. Part of the accountability of what God calls elder, pastors and elders to is that they would live this out in front of you and be an example and even motivate, inspire you to live for Christ because of the way that they live for Christ. And it's okay to look to them in that way. <clears throat> However, the most faithful elder, pastor, cannot save you. Only Christ alone, through faith alone in Him, is the one who can save you and forgive you of your sins and redeem you and to give you eternal life. So it's important for you to know that your elders and any future elders you have in this church are redeemed sinners who need Jesus just as much as every single one of you do. So they're to proclaim God's Word with their mouth and they live it out in their lives as their ministry. But they do not save you and they are not your Savior. And it's really important for you to know the distinction between that as you look to your elders in the way that Paul calls Titus to establish them and for the church to look to them. So that's the first aspect to what God calls elders to be. Number two, he had proclaimed God's word, but second, they protect. They protect God's flock. And notice that Paul is highlighting a major contrast in the middle of this chapter. Look at verse 9 again with me, this central verse that puts it all together. He describes what an elder does, verse 9, <clears throat> that he may be able to give instructions in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Then Paul begins, if you look at verse 10, to describe those who contradict it. So notice he's connecting, saying the elders are the ones who rebuke those who contradict it, and here are the ones who, they are, who are to be rebuked, in a sense, by them. And by implication are the ones who are to be protected from, the, the flock is to be protected from these particular men. Elders are called to be the example of knowing God and living to prove that they actually know God. That's what verses 6-9 through nine are really highlighting. These men called to be elders truly know God. And they see it not just by what they say, but by what, the way they live their life. And they don't just proclaim God's word, they protect the flock from two kinds of people that are described in these later verses I want us to look at. Number one, they protect the flock from false teachers. From false teachers. Look down at verse 10. Look at the list of these next several verses, how it, it kind of creates this profile of what a false teacher is. Verse 10, insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. Verse 11, they must be silenced. They're upsetting families. They're teaching falsely. 
verse 12. Verse 12, he uses this generalization of a Crete. Remember, he's in Crete. He actually uses a contextual example to say, yep, this is who they are. And he describes them in verse 12. Look at verse 15. Both their mind and their consciences are defiled. Verse 13. They are to be rebuked sharply. So they're to be identified so they are able to be protected. The flock is able to be protected from them. In other words, this is a description. These men, these rebellious men, these false teachers... This is the description of what a wolf in sheep's clothing truly is. Think about what a wolf in sheep's clothing is. It's a, tr- it's a wolf. They're truly a wolf, but they're disguising themselves as a sheep, as one of God's people, to be among God's people, to maybe have influence on God's people, to maybe win the trust of God's people. But they're truly a wolf who protects the local church from those men. The elders are called to protect the flock. So to protect God's flock. And and ultimately notice, look down at verse 16. This is the true summary of this group of men. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Do you remember what the main idea is? This is the exact opposite. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their deeds. Do you see why it's so important that the elders, as they lead a congregation, profess to know God and truly demonstrate in their life that they do know God? Because without it, they simply become one of these men who profess to know God, but deny him by their deeds. And it's also hard to identify these men sometimes. Why? Because they profess to know God. It's only in the way they live their life that exposes that they actually don't know God. And elders are to be called, gifted, equipped to be able to identify those particular dangerous people for the church. So elders protect God's flock from false teachers. There's a second group, or second protection that the, the elders are supposed to protect themselves, to protect. And this might surprise you a bit, but this is implied in here. They are to protect God's flock from themselves. They protect God's flock from themselves. Let me explain what I mean. Look at verse 5 with me. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains in order and appoint elders in every town as I direct you. There's more than one. And I know it says town there, but every other consistent part of the New Testament where it uses plural Language for elders, it's referring to more than one in a local church. Why would he do that? Well, there's many reasons that you, I think it would be good to have more than one elder in a church. But one of them is accountability. One of them is so that they can help each other be faithful elders. Another is that and one elder cannot then just go do whatever one elder wants to do. In other words, God's design is that there are more than one that God would use to care for the flock, protect the flock, and to proclaim the word. So there's accountability in place here. Look down again at verses 6 through 9. There is these qualifications that qualify an elder in a local church. 
The reason there's specifics given is so elders can call one another to live this way. So this isn't actually just your responsibility to call your elders to be the example, but elders are supposed to challenge each other and hold each other accountable in these ways, to live in in the way that they're called to live. Look down in verses 7. They're to be faithful to family, above accusation, and humble, kind, gentle. Verse 8, hospitable, lovers of good, self-controlled, upright, holy. Verse 9 tells us elders are to holding firm to the word that is taught. Elders call each other to faithfulness. And in doing so, here's the irony, they actually protect the flock from each other. Now, you might think, where where do you get this idea? I mean, if they're an elder, why should they, I need protection from them? Well, because these things are in place to hopefully prevent that. But as we said, elders are men and sinners who need Jesus just as much as everybody else. We're not going to turn there, but I do want to reference for you Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And you can write that down and read that later, but here's in essence what it is saying. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. It's his final words to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. And he says these stunning and profound words to them. It's his final call to them before he gets on a boat and sails away to Rome and dies. It's this final words to these men before he releases them in a sense You are now the elders and in charge of the Ephesian church. And he says this to them. He says, pay careful attention to two things. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Those are the two things. That really summarizes powerfully the call of an elder. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. And then he proceeds to explain why he gave both of those things as the call of a pastor. A lot of times we say, oh, it's certainly to pay careful attention and care for the flock. But he says that you should care for the flock as elders because wolves, he uses the word wolves, wolves will come in to devour the flock. And you as elders are called to protect them. But then he turns around and says in the next verse on why he explains to pay careful attention to yourselves. He says, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. If you think that it is an impossibility that a wolf in sheep's clothing could cleverly and cunningly get involved in a church, win the trust of people, and not become an elder, I have some really awful stories to tell you. It has happened all throughout history. It happens today. Which is why Paul's warning the Ephesian elders of not just pay careful attention to that flock you're going to care for. Pay careful attention to yourselves so that you, show, so that you don't show to be a wolf that's in sheep's clothing. There is an accountability among elders together that helps them lead a godly life that helps them be true to the word that they preach. And that so often is how God builds a church through the strength of elders together, working together, holding each other accountable, supporting one another. 
And that is truly a gift that you have here, to have more than one elder. Because I believe that is God's good design for His church. One of the many reasons I believe that we have so many messes in churches throughout the world with so much of the work that I do is because there are wolves who became elders and use that as a way to just devour that flock. So elders are called to protect the flock from wolves and to have those safeguards in place to where there would never be a way for a wolf to come in and devour the flock because they're protecting you from any wolves that would come in, but also any who would dare to try to become an elder and devour the flock that way. So in light of these two calls upon elders, some of you are sitting there thinking, well, that's great, but I'm not an elder. So what? Well, there's actually implications for everybody in this church around Paul sharing that, that this indeed has to be established as the leadership, which is why he flows into Titus 2, which is what we looked at this morning. So there's significant implications. I want to give you three of them. Three ways I would say that, that Great Vic Baptist Church can respond to these truths about elders. Because ultimately they are called to care for you and minister the word to you, proclaim it. So number one, three ways. Number one, Rejoice that your pastors, your elders, are God-given gifts to you. Rejoice in that. Rejoice that your elders are God-given gifts to you. It is no mistake that Paul begins this letter establishing God's good design for these churches in Crete by defining the role of an elder. And how essential they are to set in order what remains so that any church, the church in Crete and the church here today, can thrive. And as I get to work with all kinds of elders, pastors over the world, all over the world, the, the faithfulness of these men can so often make or break a church. And I want you to know, I, I've, I've had a lot of joy in getting to meet uh, your other elders here, but I have known your senior pastor for several years now, and I've gotten to know him well. And I just want to share, I might be a little biased to this, but he is a gift to you. He's not a perfect man. He'd be the first to tell you that. But all, all these pastors I get to work with and elders I get to work with, he is a gift to you. I got to meet your other elders this weekend. And I can tell you, I've already heard stories about what a gift these other men are to you as a church. And even in my own experiences can see the way that they love this church and love you. And I just want you to know that is a very rare gift. As I mentioned this morning, most churches have one pastor elder. They don't have anybody else. And there's one man that's trying to do all of that work. So one of the reasons I believe there is, seems to be a significant blessing happening here in this church is in part God has given you gifts in these men. And they're being faithful to the task. And I would also encourage you, in any future elders that are brought into this church, they are designed to be a gift to you. So rejoice that these men are here to be a gift to you, to serve you, to love you, 
to care for you, to minister the word and to protect you. But I suspect many of you already know that, don't you? And I would encourage you to to even reach out to each of these men if they have had a significant impact in some way in your life, to, to share that with them. Don't assume people do that as much as you might think. But it is a gift to have more than one elder to be able to serve you in this way. Well, number two, so rejoice first that you have God, that God's gift to you in these elders. Number two, realize that you need protection from wolves. It's right here in the passage. You need protection. I say that because I meet many Christians who feel you know, they don't need a church and they don't need a pastor or an elder to, to care for them. But let's allow God's word, his truth in this passage to show, to, to remind us that God's design is to have elders in every town, in every church, for a reason. And the reason is, is that every follower of Jesus, every redeemed person by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus needs a elder, an elder, a pastor, to exhort in sound doctrine and rebuke those who would contradict it. As verse 9 says. Other passages all over the New Testament say things like, Elders are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. They are to pay careful attention to themselves and pay careful attention to the flock. That's Acts 20. They care for your souls as those who will actually give an account to God for every single one of your souls. That's Hebrews 13, 17. This is a serious, important work. And every follower of Jesus, I'm convinced to truly thrive, to persevere and finish to the end in this difficult, fallen world needs the support of each other and you need elders who will care for your soul and take responsibility for that. Realize you need protection from the wolves and this is God's good design to help protect you from that. Embrace it. It's part of God's design. It's a good thing for you to look to them. Depend on these men in that way. Here's the final reason, or the final way that you can respond to these truths. And that is to receive the public and the private ministry of God's Word from them. To receive the public and private ministry of God's Word. Look one more time in verse 9 with me. Elders are primarily called to exhort in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. So the sound doctrine is referring to the truth of of God's Word. It's referring to a clarity on the Gospel of Jesus Christ that elders are called and empowered and gifted to minister to you in a public environment like this, but also in private manners as well. This happens publicly in the church, but it also happens in one-on-one conversations, doesn't it? It, it happens in the hospital room, more than likely. It, it happens in your own home. It happens in the funeral homes. And when these men come to minister the Word, even just read the Word to you and pray with you, I want to encourage you to, to receive it. It's part of God's design. It's part of His means of grace to help you persevere in your faith, in your walk with Jesus. Embrace it when these men come to to minister His Word to you, whether it's publicly like this, to come eager to receive, or whether it's in private, one-on-one, or with a small group, or whatever it might be. 
I once heard a wise pastor say, an old wise pastor said to me once, our job as pastors, elders, our job is to get as many people to heaven in the best condition possible. And that's what I would exhort for you, that your elders are in place to be able to help you walk with Jesus to get to that final place where he promises that eternal reward in the best condition possible. Look to your elders to help you in that way. But I want to remind you once again, the most faithful pastor cannot get you to heaven. A faithful pastor can shepherd your soul and care for you and walk with you and preach God's word and proclaim his word and minister his word to you and remind you of the promises of God and the truth that we have in Christ. But it is only Jesus that can truly get us there. It's only Jesus that provides the way for us to get there. Through faith alone in Him. In fact, if there's someone here who's never placed their faith and trust in Christ, it's not through a faithful pastor that you find your salvation. It's through turning and fixing your eyes upon Christ and placing all of your faith and your trust upon Him. If that's you tonight, I would encourage you to to look to Christ. You may be thinking, man, having this elder thing, it would be great to have an elder in my life. Yeah certainly would, but you need a Savior first if you do not know Him. All the elder can do is fix your eyes on Him because He's the one that we look to for salvation, forgiveness, faith, hope, and strength in this world. So look to Christ, the chief shepherd, and allow your elders, those under shepherds of the chief shepherd, to walk with you and support you and to help you along the way, that we can get to our eternal reward in the best condition possible. So let me take a moment and pray for each of you in that way. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the gift of elders in this church. Thank you for the faithful men who serve in this capacity. We ask, Lord, you would bless them and, and keep them faithful. Help them to look to Jesus in all they do. Help them to embrace their own limitations, their own humanity, and realize that Jesus is truly the one that does all the work. But you've called them to a task, to proclaim your word, to protect your flock. Lord, help them to do that faithfully, courageously. And Lord, I ask for future elders that you might raise up here. That you would even now begin to raise those up, move on their hearts, who might serve in that capacity in this church in particular. Lord, I ask that you would stir the hearts of those who might feel called to be pastors and elders in this congregation, who might be trained and raised up and then sent out to go serve another congregation. Lord, use this place, this strategic hub in the middle of Belfast to do that work here. And that faithful men would be raised up to serve in these ways. And Lord, I also pray for these precious people in this congregation. That you would help them to see the gift of the elders they have. Imperfect as all of them are. We ask, Lord, you would help them to look to them. Find trust and strength from them and care. 
We ask, Lord, that you would burden each heart in here to know that they need someone to care for their own soul. And you would help them to look to these appointed men you've already given them to do so. And that they would be encouraged and helped and strengthened through their ministry. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Brian, for ministering to us throughout today. And just before we sing our closing hymn, uh, I just want to make mention that one of our elders has not been able to be here today, and that's one of our uh, pastors, Simon. He phoned me this morning to say, sadly, he was up through the night being sick and wouldn't make it today. He was supposed to be leading this evening, and he hasn't been able to be here. So in your own way, I'm sure you'll be able to show your support and encouragement of Simon. Maybe send him a wee message to let him know uh, that you're thinking of him. And in our closing benediction, I'll remember to pray for him as well. I meant to say that earlier before intercessory prayer, but missed that opportunity, so I wanted to do it now. Now, as we close, let's stand together and we'll respond uh, with the words of this wonderful hymn, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery.
that unwavering hope that we have, rock-solid hope in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that he's the shepherd who never fails us and never lets us down, the shepherd who can save us and safely lead us all the way home to you, Father. And we do remember uh, our elders here. Uh, Lord, we feel our weakness keenly, but we thank you that you're the God who makes us strong. And we pray for Simon this evening, who's been unwell today, unable to join us. Thank you for him, for his ministry among us. We pray for him, that you'd heal him, strengthen him, uh, help him to feel better soon, uh, that he could be back out among us again. Help Heather with the kids uh, as well, uh, and just continue to encourage and lead us all on in all the ways you do by your grace. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.